So uh, I thought I'd uh, speak on Galatians. I haven't uh, spoken on Galatians. I can't remember the last time I spoke on Galatians. But uh, I'd like to speak on the Galatians chapter 2 and uh, verse, verse 20 primarily. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is um, an interesting verse uh, to look at. Sometimes it's uh, a little bit difficult to comprehend what the Apostle is saying. When you read over it, I'm alive and yet, you know, I'm dead and, or I'm dead and I'm alive and, you know, and you're sort of wondering, well, what exactly is the Apostle speaking about in this particular verse? And uh, if you look at the context in which it's given, you know, the, the whole argument that the Apostle is giving this uh, uh, letter to the Galatians, of course, is a defense of the gospel. He's uh, wanting to show to people what the gospel is all about, and it's all about being justified in Christ before God, or finding acceptance with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not simply uh, a defense, you know, what you find is that the Apostle himself takes up the offensive as well. You know, I mean, you can see something of the offensive in one sense, uh, in the way in which he deals with Peter, isn't it? Or Cephas, you know? The way in which he deals with him is that he takes him to task over the fact that he was living like a Jew, but he was expect, uh, living like the Gentiles, but he was expecting the Gentiles to live like Jews. And this had all come about through the influence of uh, some people who had come down from Jerusalem, and the authority of James, the Lord's brother. And so you have this situation where there is this sort of stress and conflict that was going on in the church there in Galatia. And you have this problem where the apostle now wants to explain to them how it is that we find acceptance with God. And one of the ways that you find that he is portraying here is the mentality of these particular people. Oh, they, they, they readily accepted who... Uh, Jesus was in the sense of they, they thought that by faith in Jesus they could be saved, but what they wanted to do was they wanted to add a few things in. They didn't want to, as it were, cut and run from Judaism, from the Jewish religion that they had been brought up in. They wanted to, as it were, have this new faith, as it were, but they wanted to add on to that the fact that people had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And what the Apostle wants to show is quite clearly that it is not the case. It is not the case that we have to add anything to the Gospel. It is something that is given to us freely in Christ. And what you find is that the Apostle presents two ways of salvation. And the ways in which he presents them is like this, that he says there are basically two ways of salvation because we need righteousness. And how can we get righteousness? Well, one of the ways in which we can get righteousness is through the law of God. God gives us his law. And if we were to pay to keep the law of God perfectly in every way, then we would be righteous in the sight of God. And so we would find acceptance. We would come with our own righteousness. But what he says to them is the impossibility and the futility of even thinking that this was a possibility. You know, the law was given not as a means of salvation, but as a means of conviction to show that it was an impossibility to find acceptance with God through the law. 
And so what the apostle says there in verse 16, isn't it? Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In other words, the impossibility of any person achieving salvation through the works of the law. It's not a probability. It's an impossibility. It is something that happens that these people who were thinking they were going to attain to something through the maintaining of the law, that they would find ultimate acceptance with God, they would be able to have this. Paul is to say to them, see, it's impossible that you can find acceptance with God through this. Because what the Apostle Paul has done, of course, is that he has abandoned all of that, hasn't he? You know, when he speaks about himself, isn't it, as being a Pharisee on the one hand and blameless considering the law, and yet he came to realize that the law was more than just putting a restraint upon us and keeping us, as it were, walking in the straight path, avoiding doing things that the law denied and decreed were things that we shouldn't do. But as we know, isn't it, if you read in Romans chapter 7, you know, though he had kept the law blamelessly, though he was a Pharisee, though he was circumcised on the age day, though he was of the seed of Benjamin and all the other things that were associated and all the benefits that he had as a Jew, yet he says, doesn't he, when the law said to them, you shall not covet, he said, I died. Because he found within himself that the law was as it were, attacking not merely our actions, but it was attacking our inner state and condition. And when he realized that he could covet, or had coveted, then he realized how easily it was to fail God. And so the problem that you've got here is that what the Apostle Paul is trying to show is the failure of mankind. That man, in and of himself, can never, ever find acceptance with God. Or what he says in Romans chapter 3, isn't it, that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. In other words, we've not attained what God demands and expects of us. And so the apostle, he was to show to these people now the desperate need that they find themselves in and how it is that we come into that place of salvation. And if we were to describe what the apostle wants to say to these people, you say like this, that humanity as a whole has failed God. Jew and Gentile, no matter where you belong to or where you come from, Jew or Gentile, we have all ultimately failed God. And so what was necessary was the reconstruction of a new humanity. We need to have a new mankind. We need to have a new people who are completely different and radically changed in their approach to God. They had to experience something that was going to be transitionary, is going to change them and transform them and bring them into a place and into a state and into a condition whereby they would be readily accepted by God through Christ. And the way in which he wants to describe it is the fact that we've died, he says. Our relationship with the law is one that we have died. In verse 19, he says, For through the law, for I through the law, 
dying to the law, that I might live to God. In other words, I must experience death in order that I might live for God. That's a strange expression, isn't it? A strange way of looking at things. And in many ways, verse 20 explains a little bit about that. Because he says, well, how have I died? He said, I have been crucified with Christ. This is my state and my condition. Now, how, how do we say that we have been crucified with Christ? You know, what is it that makes us and puts us in that position of being crucified? When you think of crucifixion in the New Testament, you see, and in the time of the Romans, crucifixion was a death sentence. Nobody came down from the cross. They all died. There was no way in which there was an escape. And even as we know, isn't it, that the two people who died with Jesus, you know, that when Jesus had died, what they would normally do would be that if they were still alive, then they would break the legs of the people so that they would collapse and they couldn't sustain themselves in life. But Jesus had died and the board of him was not to be broken, was it? So they didn't break his legs. But that was the way in which they did it. It was a death sentence. But he says, I've been crucified with Christ. We could say, couldn't we? You know, if you're we thinking of it physically for a moment, isn't it? That the two thieves who died with Jesus, they died with Jesus. There were three of them on separate crosses on Calvary. There was Jesus, and there was these two dying thieves, and they died with Jesus. But that isn't what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He definitely wasn't there, was he? He wasn't even a believer in Jesus. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. So, in which way does he talk about us having died with Jesus? You see, he's obviously revealing to us something of that profound mystery of our relationship with Christ. You know, the expression so often used in Ephesians, for example, you know, that... We are in Christ. Time and time again, you know, you read through Ephesians chapter 1, isn't it? And we were in Christ. We were chosen in Christ, you know. This sort of picture of being united to Christ. Or if you think for a moment of uh, John chapter 15, and you think of Jesus saying, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser, you know. And who are you? Well, you are the branches. What has God done? What has God done for you and I? Well, God has taken us out of the world, and He has grafted us into Christ. He has attached us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that union, in that bond with Him, this mystical, spiritual union that exists between us and Christ, when Jesus died, we died. Something happened to us. Something profound took place. That Jesus dying was dying in our stead. And we were dying in Jesus in other words, we were suffering the penalty of sin in Jesus, or Jesus was suffering the penalty of our sin in his own body on that tree. But in our union with him, we died with Christ. And the reason why the, the whole purpose and the sense of us dying in Christ is that the law has no implication for those who have died. Isn't this the example that Paul gives in Romans chapter 7 about a, a woman, you know, being married, when her husband dies, she is separated from her husband and she is free to marry another. But until that particular point, she's bound by the law. But once death has come, there's an end to that. And what he is saying here is that we in and of ourselves 
have experienced that. We have died with Christ. No longer is it a penalty, no longer is it a punishment for our sin, because we have died in Christ. Our death is already gone. It has already been experienced in the person of our Savior. Therefore, we no longer are under the judgment and condemnation of God, but we are accepted by Him, or we are justified in Christ. See, it's interesting, isn't it, that Paul speaks about him having died, and yet he speaks about himself as being alive. You know, it's a really strange way of looking at things, you know. I have been crucified with Christ, he says, you know. I have experienced, you know, I have gone through that death with Jesus. I was with Jesus, as it were, in a technical sense, you know. You know, as I was once in Adam, and where sin came into the world, and sin passed upon all men, and all men died, now, he says, I was in Christ. And my punishment was executed in him. And then he goes on to say, isn't it, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Well, let me just read from uh, the ESV for a second. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the complicated one, isn't it? You know, that's the complicated part of this, isn't it? What he says like this, it is no longer I who live. And yet he was living, wasn't he? because he was writing this particular letter. So in which sense, in what sense, you know, is he saying about himself in this particular way? It is no longer I who live. You see, what you've got to do is, you've got to think of the apostle when he's writing this letter. And when he says that he has died, there was a transition. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, there is a transition, there is a switchover, there is a change from being an Adam to being in Christ, but there's a change from being dead to being alive. Now, what the apostle is saying to us here is that he is saying like this, that I, as I was, as Saul of Tarsus, I have died as Saul of Tarsus. You know, that was the old person, the old man. That was my situation in that state and in that condition. He said, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Death came to me, and I changed. There was a fundamental change in my person, he says, that I was suddenly no longer Saul of Tarsus. In other words, he was going to become the Apostle Paul, wasn't he? I mean, it's easy in one sense to look at it like this, you know, because you think of Saul of Tarsus on the one hand, and then the Apostle Paul on the other, and there was this transition between the one and the other. The one was the persecutor of Christians, the one who was that arrogant man, you know, was filled with his own importance and, uh, you know, persecuting the church and doing all of these particular things. But he says, that man, that man died. That man that I was died. And I'm no longer that man any longer. What has happened is I've become a new man, you know. This death has come to me, says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I died then. What I was before, I am no longer like that any longer or anymore. 
But Christ lives in me, he says. You see, the whole thing is that where he dies, what does it say about him dying in verse 19, you see? When he dies, he's liberated and freed in order that he might live to God. In other words, he might serve God. And he's saying virtually the same thing in verse 19, isn't it? It is no longer I who live, because I have died, but yet I am alive. But this new life that I have, he says, but Christ, he says, lives in me. I possess the life of Jesus at this moment of time, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see the transition between the two there? The one of where I was, and now what I am. The one that I was has died, and the one that I am is alive. And it's because of this new life that has come into my very being. When you think of Paul writing to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter, he says something very similar, you see, because in the opening part of that particular chapter, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, something has happened that has liberated me now. Where I was dominated under the control of sin, now he says that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free, has liberated me from that principle of sin and death or that law of sin and death that was in me. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You see, what has happened is that we have undergone this spiritual change and transformation. We have this new resurrected spiritual life within us. It is something that has happened to us in the way in which the apostle expresses it. Of course, it's the life of Christ. But Christ lives, he says, in me. What happens when the Spirit of God comes to us? What happens when the Spirit of God takes residence within us? Isn't it that that has brought about this change, that the, the Spirit of God has given to us Christ in our hearts, in our souls. You know, when the Apostle is speaking about his relationship with the Lord, what does he say for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know, all that I am, all that I possess is to be found in Jesus. It's the life of Jesus in me. My whole way of thinking and looking has been altered and changed. My old man, my old person, Saul of Tarsus, died no longer exists. But the Apostle Paul was alive. And the reason why he was alive, because he had this new life in him. The life of Jesus that was permeating through him. There is a wonderful change that has taken place in the life and soul of Christians, isn't it? I mean, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 15, you know, or let me just read verse 14 for a moment, and then we'll go into verse 15, where it says like this, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. I've died. 
But in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but but a new creation. The only thing that ultimately matters, he says, is this new creation. Is this what God has done within us? The dying of the one, the living of the other. The new life that has entered into our very souls, into our very beings. This new life. It's a bit like Paul writing to the church in uh, Corinth, isn't it? He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. In other words, the old things pass away. Why? Because I died. And now all things have become new because all of a sudden, I am a new creation. I have been changed and altered fundamentally in the very depths of my being. I have been changed. When I was uh, converted, I knew I'd been converted. I, the reason I knew I'd been converted because I knew I wasn't the same. You know, I didn't think the same. I didn't desire the same. I didn't want the same. It was as if my whole mind and thinking, my whole desires, my whole inner structure had been rewired, as it were, to think in a completely different way. My desires, my aspirations, my longings, my feelings, everything within me had been altered. And I knew it. I used to walk around and say, I I know. I'm not the same. I didn't want to do the things I used to do. I didn't want to live the way I used to live. What had happened? That, That old Nigel Clifford, as it were, died. And there was this new one here. And I was looking on, as it were, you know, Almost as if you're standing on the outside looking on and saying, I can see I'm not the same. And in that way, so the Apostle Paul is talking. People don't read Watchman Nee anymore, but some of us uh, can remember. Maybe Watchman Nee, a converted uh, Chinese fellow, was around when I was first converted. And a lot of his books were uh, very, very sort of um, popular at that particular time, shall we say. You know? and, I, and I remember reading his biography. And uh, he came to this. He was reading one day. And, uh, and he read, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. And he started, he got up and he started shouting, I'm dead. I'm dead. You know, because he had come to realize what had happened to him. He wasn't the same. I'm dead, he says. And yet, we are alive, aren't we? But the wonderful thing is that this change that has been wrought in our souls, isn't it? And this change is revealed to us in one particular way where we can see it here. And it is like this, isn't it? That we are serving God. And how do we serve God? Well, he says we are serving God by this new faith that we have. I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, I've died. It is no longer I, the old one, who live. But Christ now is living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You see, this principle of faith has been installed within us. It is something that has taken hold upon us. I have faith in the Son of God. Here is the proof, here is the reality of this salvation that has taken place in my soul. This new creature, this new creation, this new life that has entered into the very depths of my being. This, he says, is manifested 
in this faith that I have in the Son of God. Remember Paul saying that no man can call Jesus Lord except those who have been born of the Spirit, isn't it? Those who have do it by the Spirit. So what you find is that here's the situation that we have this living faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this faith that lays hold upon Him. You know, you, you, know, you can talk to people, isn't it? And people can have a belief in God. They can believe, can't they, that there is a God. I, I remember working with people, I used to witness to them and talk to them. And they would say to me things like this, you know, and it's probably quite common with you as well. They would say things like, well, I believe there's something there, but I'm not quite sure what it is, but it might be called God. Is it? And what you find is that the Scriptures speak about a faith that goes beyond the mere belief in God. It's not that people just become theists or people are theists. You know, you've got lots of religions in the world who believe in God. You've got lots of cults who believe in God. You know, you've got demons who believe in God, and you've got the devil who believes in God. And can we say like this, that hell itself is full of theists. They're all believers in God in hell. People who live in this world, they may believe in God, but they don't believe in the Son of God. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't accept Jesus. They don't realize who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God, co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Holy Spirit, blessed in that Holy Trinity, which is God. They believe in a God, and they accept that there is a God, perhaps, but they don't believe in the Son of God. And you see, our faith is a specific faith, isn't it? It's a belief in the person of who Jesus is as the Son of God. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter, rather, when Jesus was asking his disciples, who do men say that I am? And they give a whole list, don't they? Elijah, the prophet, and so on and so forth. And then Jesus says, well, who do you think I am? He says, oh, you are the Son of God. That's who you are. You are Christ, the Son of God. You see, specific faith. You see, Jesus expects us to have more than a mere belief in God, doesn't he? It is to be directed towards the person of Jesus himself. You know, in John chapter 14, for example, you know, where Jesus says, you know, you believe in God, believe also in me. Or you believe that there is a God, believe also in me as well. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm just giving you different interpretations or different translations. But the whole point is that there is this targeted faith in the person of Jesus. It's not merely an acceptance of a divine being. It's far more than that. It's an acceptance of who Jesus is, that he is that divine son. He is the son of God. He is very special. He is unique in every way. And we believe that. And this is where our faith leads us, isn't it? It leads us to concentrate our thought upon the person of Jesus. 
who he is. And if we want proof of where we stand, isn't it, is do we believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we believe who he is? Do we focus our thoughts and our minds upon him? Because through him, we serve God. Through him, we are living for God, as in verse 19, isn't it? It's only through Jesus. And the realization of what he has done for us and how we are in him have died. And now what has happened? This death and the death that I have experienced, my old self has died, has liberated me so that I can now serve God acceptably through faith in Jesus Christ. And God accepts me in Christ. What a wonderful thing it is, isn't it? To have undergone death. And spiritual resurrection. And in that place and in that position where we are justified and accepted by God in order that we can serve Him. I read recently the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, and you read through the book of Ecclesiastes and it tells you about man doing this, man doing that, and he goes through all the things, isn't it? And it comes to the end, isn't it? And what does God really expect of us, isn't it? There's nothing else in the world but to serve God. Nothing. Ultimately, what are we living for? I mean, people have existence, you know. They go around and they go from one thing to another thing to another thing. And they think that that is life, but it's only merely existence. But here is the purpose of life. It is a life in serving God, worshipping God. But you can't do that except from, apart from the Son of God. But let me come to a quick conclusion then, because my time has gone, and, and I just want to say just a few things on the last part of that, isn't it? How has all this come about? And the reason why it's come about is quite clear, isn't it? When he says... You know, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know? Now we can say like this, can't we, that in Ephesians chapter 5, for example, you know, you get the picture of, you know, the collective unity of God's people in the church. And it says that Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. But here the apostle personalizes it, doesn't he? You know, it's, it's nice to think, isn't it? You know, of Christ loving the church. But all to bring it home to our hearts, to our very souls, is to realize the individuality, isn't it, of our own relationship with Him. That He loves me. He may love you, and He does love you. <laughs> but Paul says, but I know this, he loves me. And he gave himself for me. People often wonder, where do you get purpose for living? And they say, you know, in a loving relationship. Well, that's true. Humanly speaking, people are motivated by love, you know. Father might be motivated by love to go out and work, to look after his wife, look after his children, you know, and all of these things. And it is a great motivator. But to think of this love, isn't it? This love that should motivate us to serve God, to worship God, to see who Jesus is. This love, the love that was self-sacrificing, who loved me. And what did he do? He gave himself for me. 
This is what he's done. This is the amazing fact that Christ loved me and gave himself for me. When you read in the Old Testament, you see, when God comes to various people in the Old Testament, he addresses them by their names. When he speaks to Abraham, he calls Abraham. He called Abraham out of the herd of the Chaldees, isn't it? He speaks to Isaac, and he speaks to Jacob. He speaks to Joseph. And you get Jesus in the New Testament, isn't it? He comes and he says like this, Lazarus, come down from that tree. He didn't say, oh, you up there, get down here. It's Lazarus. He knew who Lazarus was. That is the wonderful thing, isn't it? That he knew him. You know, my sheep know me, he says. And I know them. I am personally acquainted with each and every one of them. And that's so wonderful about being a Christian, isn't it? It's wonderful to think of ourselves in the amalgamation of all the churches in the world who have believed in Jesus, but bring it home to the heart and mind and soul. He loves me and gave himself for me. What a wonderful thing it is to think that this Son of God, this one who was there with God throughout the realms of eternity, this one should love me as he loves you. And we can apply it to ourselves, isn't it? And it is a great encouragement that we might live out this life for him because he loved us and he gave himself for us.